listening to the Hooked on Learning Podcast, where we discuss all things related to continuous improvement. And now to your host, Jesse Marka. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Hooked on Learning, your source for all things related to fire officer training. So in today's episode, we're going to keep things short and sweet. We're going to discuss three main objectives. Number one, we're going to explain the purposes of fire and emergency services organizations. Number two, we're going to identify the classifications of fire and emergency services organizations. And number three, we're going to list the types of organizational staffing in the fire service. So number one, sticking with uh, fire and emergency services organizations classifications, there are really two main classifications uh, that we're going to focus on for the purpose of uh, fire officer one and two. And those classifications are very simple, public and private. There are several examples examples of both types of departments. A public department obviously being one that provides services to the public and therefore they are funded by the public through some sort of tax initiative and fee structure, whether it's millage-based, general fund, general operating, um, several different ways, special assessment for a municipality to collect the money needed to properly fund their public fire department. We also have private fire departments, which are funded through um, sale of services, contracts, or other revenue provided by their parent organization. You know, and this is where we get into specifically um, some of the for-profit type fire departments. And they may also provide their services to the general public through a mutual aid agreement. You know, one such example would be in Warren, uh, where they have the uh, the Warren Arsenal. They have an agreement, a mutual aid agreement with the city of Warren for some mutual aid due to uh, some specialty equipment that they have at the arsenal. So as we continue into the classifications, there are several levels uh, from public all the way up to, I'm sorry, from municipal, local government, all the way up to federal government. So the key things here, the distinguishing characteristics between all of these is uh, public fire department is the primary means of categorizing a fire department and it has to do with jurisdiction. So the definition of jurisdiction is the response area that's served by the fire and emergency services organization. And within that jurisdiction, they have the authority that gives them or gives the organization the legal right to exist, the authority to provide emergency services, and the authority to take actions necessary to ensure adequate and uh, efficient and effective protection. Now, a lot of times this is tied to level of government, whether it is a municipality acting on its own and it has your standard city council or township board, or if it is a merger, consolidation, um, fire authority, or anything else that may have an advisory board made up of uh, members from the municipalities that the fire department covers. Uh, when we talk about public departments, the most common thing we refer to is a municipal fire department. And there are a variety of types of fire and emergency services organizations that cover municipal fire departments, obviously, because in the United States, things range so much. And, uh, you know, each municipality obviously sets their own service levels and delivery model. Now, as a result, that staffing may be career, combination, volunteer, um, and there's a lot of examples. We have traditional departments. We have other departments that maybe um, are not as traditional. We could look to uh, other parts of Michigan where they have changed things up quite a bit 
and that is not a topic that we will debate on this podcast. Perhaps one day um, Dave from St. Clair Shores will call in and, and discuss this further. Now, the big thing is that these fire departments, municipal fire departments, must follow some form of organizational structure that reflects the local government structure, and oftentimes that requires the clear delineation of a department head. And the department head is the person who is responsible for overseeing the operation of the organization and serves as the principal interface between the organization and the rest of the municipal government. Now, the size of the fire department has a lot to do with several factors, specifically population and then the geographical area that they are required to cover. There's some additional factors such as special fire protection requirements uh, due to the occupancy types within the community and then the number of um, services that are governing, that the local governing body determines necessary. So again, it's up to the municipality, it's up to really any fire department to figure out what level they want to provide um, in terms of their delivery. Now, Metro Airport uh, is obviously in a slightly different situation because there are, I'm guessing, some mandates uh, placed on them by the FAA. So uh, that's part of what makes it, their fire department so interesting and so unique. So uh, as we go up in, in size of departments, we end up with some large organizations and they may operate several stations throughout their area. They may have separate facilities for administration, training, other functions. Again, Metro Airport is a great example of this. Multiple stations in different locations serving both Detroit Metro Airport as well as Willow Run Airport. And uh, as a result, they have several stations um, and they have some different training opportunities as well. We have a very, very, very state-of-the-art burn facility in Norfolk Township. It is a Class A burn trailer that is approximately 16 years old. Um, and obviously, we are always looking for ways to improve not only the training that we deliver there, but the facility itself. And by state of the art, I mean we have room for improvement, and it's something that we can focus on going forward. So um, as an organization gets larger as well, they may have other specialized personnel, and a lot of times they're categorized by uh, you know heavy rescues, engines, ladders, trucks, squads, and all these different resources, fire boats, fire helicopters, all these sorts of, sorts of things. Obviously, being in Metro Detroit, we do not enjoy those luxuries currently, uh, because everybody has a relatively modestly sized fire department, and as a result, we lack some of those dedicated resources day in and day out. Uh, we also lack some of the dedicated resources in terms of our staffing and primarily operating as two-person companies in, in Metro Detroit and Southeast Michigan, and really the whole state of Michigan, minus a few outliers um, such as Detroit, uh, Dearborn, Ann Arbor, Lansing, Grand Rapids etc. So, uh, you know, if, if uh, the department is combination, they may have a career response during the day or during some portion of the, um, the, the week, and they may also incorporate some type of part-time staffing or duty crew coverage to work full-time hours through part-time employees. And then uh, every fire department may have administrative or uh, different functional subdivisions of their organization. You know, a good department to talk about with that would be the Brighton Area Fire Authority. And 
due to the nature of them being a fire authority, they have their own human resources and some different functional subdivisions that we don't think of with our typical smaller organizations where our personnel serve multiple roles to provide a very full range, very full menu of services, both at Detroit Metro Airport as well here as well as here at the Norfolk Township Fire Department. Now, regardless of what fire department model you use, funding is the lifeblood of that organization and allows the organization to fulfill the mission of supporting the operation. So uh, with funding, it, it ranges from pancake breakfasts all the way up to um, city charters that, that have very clearly defined expectations for staffing. These are always typically done through uh, part of the municipal budget, whether it's through the general fund or a public safety operating fund or public safety millage, that both of which are obtained through the collection of taxes at two different times during the year. And some organizations also include subscription fees or uh, fee recovery in terms of billing their users. Uh, you know, subscription fees are, are popular in areas such as Southern California, where transport costs are high, and as a way of almost supplementing the insurance of local workers and local residents, they come up with a subscription fee for $40 or $50 a year, which basically covers the difference between what your insurance is willing to pay and what the department is charging you. So if the insurance was willing to pay $750 and your transport was $1,000, then your $40 subscription fee would cover that $250 in between. And there are some cities uh, and areas, specifically in Southern California, that make it a requirement for all of their businesses to have that insurance as well for their employees. So kind of a unique way of doing things. Pretty debatable um, in terms of its application here. And it would be a good discussion for uh, class as well. So budgets are set generally on an annual basis. And obviously, to have an effective budget, you have to address all possible department expenses, both short-term and long-term, and also including those capital expenditures that cost lots of dinero. So moving up from a local municipality, we have a county fire department, and you know that's uh, bigger in different parts of the state and specifically different parts of the country. Florida, for example, is loaded with county fire departments uh, that basically contract with smaller municipalities for fire and life safety services. And they're used sometimes, especially out west. Uh, Clark County, for example, covers basically uh, the, the strip of casinos that everybody knows about, but it also covers every small town in between there and Laughlin, Nevada. So um, typically they protect large areas which have lots of unincorporated land containing large populations. Again, Las Vegas, Clark County, very, very good example of that. Fire districts, uh, fire districts basically um, are organizations that are not under the jurisdiction of a municipal government, county government, state or provincial government, or a federal government. And they generally operate under a board of trustees or commissioners. This would be more like a fire authority. So Brighton, Heartland, Howell, Chelsea, you get the idea. Um, those board of trustees or commissioners typically represent residents of a particular district, which may include a particular city in their coverage area. And uh, they oversee the organization as a whole. They administer the funding, they set the policy, and they determine the operation. Now, their funding may come, a county fire department, their funding, or a fire district, I'm sorry, uh, 
their funding may come from district tax, which is probably the most common, uh, where it's it's some fee for service, typically captured through uh, a taxing authority that allows them to uh, basically set money aside for various expenditures, staffing operations in general, uh, station maintenance, vehicle replacement. So in some instances, the the funding mechanism is very specific and allows the organization to really be um, robust in, in how they prepare and how they plan for these costs, both today, tomorrow, and next year. Uh, in most cases, these fire authorities or fire districts are established through the vote of the people living in that area, and their staffing, again, may be provided by full-time, volunteer, or combination um, staffing. As we move up to the state level, you know, we, we typically deal with things more related to the wildland fire industry or a very special purpose like the state USAR, state um, task force for urban search, or urban search and rescue. And uh, we also can talk about things on a political level as well. The Office of Firefighter Training the Michigan uh, Office of the Fire Marshal. So a lot of things uh, at the state level going on that, that really shape us at the local and uh, county level as it relates to what we're doing. And then federal-wise, uh, we have obviously the National Fire Academy, which is a good example of a training resource that we have at our disposal underneath the United States Fire Administration, which provides the training courses for all paid volunteer and combination organizations through, as I mentioned, the National Fire Academy and also EMI or the Emergency Management Institute. The Department of Defense can also be listed under a federal type of department, and they operate fire and emergency service organizations on military installations, both in the continental United States and outside of the continental United States. And depending on their location, they provide structural fire protection, airport crash and rescue services, port facilities, and shipboard fire protection. And they may also have off-base agreements under different mutual aid uh, doctrines that cover both the sharing of mutual aid uh, to their facility as well as from their facility. Uh, you know, in Canada, they can do things a little bit different under the Canadian Defense Department. We won't spend a lot of time talking about that, but the Canadian Defense Department oversees military and civilian fire and emergency services organizations operating thirty-five, operating in 35 different installations in and around North America. And then we also have some resources in the United States that are categorized as tribal and have sovereignty over their designated lands in accordance with agreements with the United States uh, and the Canadian federal governments, and uh, in, in North America, there are 562 federally recognized North American tribal governments. So that is today's stat of the day. Now, uh, as we transition into what a private fire department uh, may be responsible for and different examples of that, there are many, there is a much smaller number of private fire departments than there are public organizations, but some of these private uh, fire departments provide provide really the same type of services. So we have industrial fire brigades that are, are maintained by basically a commercial facility, and they have to be established in accordance with NFPA 600, 
which is the standard on industrial fire brigades, and then also NFPA 1021, which is the standard for industrial fire brigade member professional qualifications. This would be something that you may see at a very, very large manufacturing plant, for example, something in the automotive industry, or uh, at a large chemical facility uh, that's responsible for maintaining their own industrial fire brigade as well. And the reason that they do this typically is because it requires specialized resources that far exceed um, the capabilities of the local community. Uh, the marathon facility would be a good example of that. The other reason why some of these exist is just due to the fact that they are very remote in their location from the local public fire and emergency services organizations. It also affects them in terms of the uh, reduction of potential liabilities for their organization and can result in reduced insurance rates for them due to having their own fire department on site uh, trained and equipped to handle their special needs as a uh, as an organization. Now, because of that, they must maintain their own resources, which means their own facilities, personnel, apparatus, equipment, and so on. And as a result, they often enter into mutual aid agreements or collaborative efforts with uh, public fire departments or local fire departments in their area. Again, great example would be Metro Airport and Marathon. And this is where we kind of segue into profit and nonprofit. Uh, For-profit fire departments are becoming more prominent. Uh, public organizations have to realize that their survival may depend on delivering services more efficiently. Clearly, there are many things you can read and several things you can listen to and an endless amount of things you can watch um, that can tell you how to do things more efficiently. And remember, there's a difference between cost-effective and cost-efficient. We can always find ways to do things cheaper, but what cost does that really come at? So that's something for each community uh, to really come up with on their own and determine what they want. So nonprofit fire and emergency services organizations consist of both career and volunteer and combination uh, staffing and serve various areas and regions. And their funding, as we talked about before, um, is typically captured through the taxes and as a result must meet uh, U.S. tax code for uh, everything that includes donations or fundraisers or subscriptions or contracts or grants. And uh, as a result, they're permitted by the United States Department of Homeland Security to both request and receive Fire Act grant funds and assistance. So um, grant funding is one of those areas that we're continuously exploring to make sure that we are um, not missing any additional opportunities for funding, both through the SAFER grants and the Assistance for Firefighters grant, the FPNS grant, lots of grants. Uh, and we're trying to get more awards. So next objective, organizational staffing. Again, this is a very quick review. We all know that there are career, paid-on-call, volunteer, and combination fire departments, and they each come with their own unique set of characteristics um, as a result of that. And uh, the, big, the big thing to take away from it is the community has to know where they're at and where they're going, and we have to live within our means. So... Uh, you know, as populations increase, typically so does staffing. And so does the likelihood that the organization will be a career fire department. A department like Metro Airport and yeah, Metro Airport specifically would be extremely difficult um, to operate some sort of paid on call or volunteer fire department because the, uh, the nature of that business is not one that would really acclimate itself well to a staffing model where there are not resources already in a secured area. Uh, and then other municipalities obviously come with their own challenges as well.
Um, combination fire departments uh, are typically in those areas that are transitioning from more of a paid on call to a career fire department. Our fire department would be a good example of that. Uh, in 2002-2003, we, we really transitioned uh, from a department that was uh, a combination department to a fully uh, career fire department. And with that were several growing pains as well. Paid on call organizations typically have a difficult time with different factors, recruitment and retention being the primary factors. Uh, so it's up to each municipality to figure out how they're going to meet those two needs to make sure that they are retaining, recruiting and retaining the appropriate amount of people. And you know, locally, recruitment and retention is becoming even a bigger issue for the career fire departments due to the changes in uh, contractual benefits and, and other things that affect employment. So something to uh, be aware of and to, to stay on top of because it is all uh, very interesting as it affects us. So I promise this is going to be a short chapter. Last objective we're going to talk about today is listing the types of organizational staffing in the fire service. And uh, we've already discussed all of those things. So on that note, we are going to call it a day. So we will see you next time.